back to the build after what I think is the most consequ- consequential week of the uh, the Hughes-Gordon Canadians era so far. Um, lots happened this week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the beginning making things up because I have an outline in front of me that is seven pages long, so we have to get through this. Um, there's a lot of things I'm going to do in this episode, so we'll jump right into that. We're going to talk about the first overall pick with a little bit more of prospect analysis of that pick and the rest of the picks from the draft to come later once I've had, you know, time to research the picks, you know, actually know what I'm talking about. Um, we'll talk about the big trades that happened, um, a few picks after the first overall pick. Uh, we'll talk about the plan that's in place from Hughes and Gorton headed into this draft, how it primes them for the summer, how, how it, it sort of sets the stage for what they're looking to do over the next, not only off-season, but two, three years down the line. And there's a lot of stuff I'm not going to do on this show, and I think we'll, I'm going to start with those. Um, first of all, one thing that I've been seeing go around a lot that I am not going to um, indulge in is we're not going to apologize for um, preferring one prospect over another. And of course, that being, I was very vocal about it. I know a lot of Canadians fans were the desire to uh, to draft Shane Wright was much higher than the desire to draft Uri Slavkovsky. Um, if you are guilty of preferring one player over another, you are guilty of nothing. That's literally just preference, right? Um, the Canadians have pick preference. That's why Uri Slavkovsky went first and Philip Mayshar went 26th. The Canadians don't hate Mayshar. They just value other players, Slavkovsky in this instance, more. They, they viewed Slavkovsky as having a higher value. That's what drafts are. They're player evaluations. That's just it. One player being liked does not make another player hated. It's, you know, I, I thought Wright was the more valuable selection. I haven't, I, I don't make any sort of, um, you know, qualms about that. That's, I've been very clear about that, um, you know, this entire time, as as most Canadians fans who wanted Wright have. It is not that Slavkovsky is a bad player. We thought Wright was the more valuable selection with Montreal having first dibs at any player in this draft that they wanted. Um, there was this theme of uh, on, on, you know, Thursday when it took place and Friday and over the weekend that, you know, Fans who wanted Wright needed to apologize because Slavkovsky ended up going first. Not only did we need to apologize to Slavkovsky himself, who, from all you know, from all from everything we saw throughout the draft, he didn't seem to care. I think he thought it was funny that people booed him. Honestly, I think he he sees that as as you know the Canadians value him a lot to the point where they would put him in that situation where some people might disagree with it. Um, but we don't owe Slavkovsky an apology. Um, you know, again, as long as you had only player preference here, you didn't, you weren't saying mean things about Slavkovsky. You weren't taking shots at Slavkovsky's character. As long as your only qualm was that you thought another player was better, you do not have anything to apologize for. And I would start to be a little more critical 
of the people who are asking you to apologize and try to figure out why that is. It's not because they care what that player thinks at all. A lot of times since 2016, we, you know, every argument in this fan base has turned into some insane culture war where, you know, someone is right and there's a moral high ground and there's a soapbox to stand on. And typically it's the same group of people who do that. So keep an eye on that. We're not apologizing for for wanting um, one player over another because that's how drafts work, not only from a fan level, but from a team level. The second thing we're not going to do <clears throat> is we're not going to spend time dragging Shane Wright through the mud. Um, there's some thoughts about his character concerns going around at the moment, the glare that may or may not have happened back at the Canadians draft table when he ultimately was selected fourth overall by the Seattle Kraken. Um, there are screenshots of Instagram likes going around that he's like liking posts that, you know, had, had mean things to say about Yuri Slavkovsky, which have not really been corroborated outside of just those likes. And anyone spending any amount of time trying to do any of that corroboration, go touch grass. You have to go figure out some other thing to do. Like that, that can't be it. Right. Um, we're not, I'm not going to indulge in any of that. There's a, there's a certain aspect of hockey fandom that's like that. I am not doing this to 18 year olds. Um, you know, (laughs) I saw the draft called the boy auction and that's what this is. It's, it's, it's young men getting drafted. They have no control over where they go. And, um, you know, I've said this over the last few weeks with the roles reversed, right? Like there was a portion of scouting Twitter scouting in quotations because, you know, some people, um, pretend to be scouts and they're not, that's not that. I I think all that does is it undercuts the work of people who actually do a lot of, um, scouting, like scouting. That's a fantastic resource for fans to go look at. Um, I just recently subscribed to EP ringside for, um, Elite prospects. David St. Louis is a, a real, um, a really, really great asset to them. Um, so there's there are sources where you can get your prospect information. However, over the last few weeks, the case being made for Slavkovsky by a lot of these scouts weren't cases being made for Slavkovsky. They were cases being made against picking Shane Wright. I think, and I, that's something I'm not going to do now. And that's something I think I am consistent in, in the sense that I didn't do that. You know, I said that that was wrong to do before when it was the guy I wanted who was being dragged down. And similarly, the same, you can do the same thing now. You know, saying that, you know, these people taking shots at Shane Wright's character, we don't need to be doing that. So, you know, the draft is settled. The pick is what it is. We're going to talk about it. <clears throat> But I do want to preface all of this by saying that the articles that you'll read after this that are like draft grades, um, you know, a draft isn't decided the day of. It's not decided the day after. It's not decided a year after. It this is something that you're going to have to look back on in three, four, five years to decide if Montreal did the right thing. But let's get into that. As much as I believed. There was a consensus just in the voices that I listened to that um, Shane Wright was the consensus number one pick. That consensus was somewhat 
flimsy. Sure, it was a consensus. I think I still do believe that most people who have um, their thoughts on drafts put out into the world, I still believe that the most of those lists had Shane Wright as the number one pick. With that said, you know, the, the amount of noise that there was this year, I, I know a lot of people say, oh, it's only this happening like this because it's Montreal. I don't think so. I really, I really do get the sense that, like, teams were finding a reason to get excited about a prospect. And with Shane Wright, they weren't able to do it. And with Slavkowski, they were able to do it for whatever reason. I think it's height, but it could be anything. Um, there are some who think that the Canadians galaxy brained this pick. That, you know, there was a consensus and they went away from that consensus. Um, that's a fair opinion if you'd like to have it. I, I'm not well-versed enough on these prospects to to, to know that. But just by reading and, and seeing what else is out there, I, I've always felt like Shane Wright was the better prospect in this draft. I have a hard time believing it when, you know, the rankings are all over the place. Um, depending on who you asked from the final draft rankings published before the before the the first round, um, Slavkovsky was anywhere from first to fifth. Uh, Bob McKenzie had him first in a survey of NHL executives slash scouts. Corey Pronman he had him ranked first. Him and him and um, Wright were in the same tier in his rankings for the Athletic, um, but they were not. But but he gave Slavkovsky the edge on upside. Um, you know, even in the rankings that had him first, that had right first, there was this, every single one of them, it felt like, pointed out that, yeah, he he's, he's the best thinker in the class, he's the best hockey IQ in the class, he's the best X, Y, and Z in this class, but they all, it, it seemed like they, they came away from right with thinking that he he lacked something to be desired that they kind of they were left wanting from his season um you know i don't know how much teams value that sort of excitement factor um but i think it truly means that the teams that had slavkovsky first and right somewhere else believe that right is just kind of what he is we know what he is and it's not all that flashy, not all that exciting. And there's a potential for Slavkovsky to be more than what he's already shown us. Um, and I think that discussion on being able to do more comes with the fact that Slavkovsky played, a, he played in a lot more, di uh, he played in several different situations throughout the season. And a good number of the games that he played we're against competition that was older, bigger, stronger, faster than him. Um, again, that's not a shot at Shane Wright. He played the games he was supposed to. I was listening to the 32 Thoughts podcast, though, and I, it was interesting. I guess one team at the Combine really drilled Wright on why he didn't go and play in Europe the season that the OHL was closed. Um, like, they, they would, I think, I think they're just as frustrated with the fact that I think they want to see in Wright what the consensus showed like it seemed like the consensus came out and it was right and then they wanted to figure out like how to make that the consensus like man if you just went over to Europe and, and like and played for a season we could have seen more of you against men 
And you probably would have been the number one overall pick. You would have probably been the consensus number one pick had you just gone over there and done what you were capable of doing. Now, that's a very... uh, When I heard that, my first thought was, it's kind of rough to judge a hockey player for not going to a foreign country during a global pandemic, right? Like, it seems like he's, he's put in an untenable situation. Yeah, he could have gone over there. It worked for Austin Matthews. Um, but Austin Matthews didn't do it during a pandemic. It seems like a very odd thing to be like grilling an 18 year old about. Um, but that's just Slavkovsky's edge in this department. He played in, in, a, one of the harder competitive leagues to play in, which I'll, I'll, that's not me making that up. I have a source on that. Um, he played in Liga in Finland. Uh, his point totals weren't all that great, um, but as Elite, Elite Prospects notes in their full scouting report on him, which is beyond a paywall, I recommend it. Um, it's really, really interesting stuff. Um, I'll, I'll read their quote directly from his scouting profile. Uh, it's not like he was chopped liver in the Finnish Liga either. 10 points in 31 games is hardly anything to scoff at from a first-time draft-eligible skater and one of Europe's most more challenging professional leagues, after all. Um, yeah, he just he didn't have a fantastic... Um, the the numbers don't jump off the page. 10 points in 31 games, um, 7 points in 18 playoff games. It was a big jump for him after participating in some of the, you know, the international tournaments. Um, his U20 uh, TPS team, so TPS was the team he played for in Liga. Um, his U20 team, he scored 18 points in 11 games. So that's that, that's essentially his peers, where he's over a point per game against his peers. Um, internationally against men in the Olympics, he won a bronze medal. He was the tournament. He led the tournament in scoring seven points, all of them being goals. I think one being the empty netter in the bronze medal game. Uh, he was voted the tournament MVP. Then he goes to the world championships for Slovakia. He plays in eight games. He records three goals, six assists, nine points. That's a little bit more of an interesting uh, development because, you know, in the Olympics, he didn't play against any NHL talent. Zero across the board because the NHL didn't go. In the World Championships, he did. There were some NHL players who played in the World Championships, um, not full NHL rosters, but certainly a better complement of players for the comp- you know the the Canada's and the, the U.S. and uh, Sweden, you know, teams that usually have good showings at, at international tournaments like that. So all told, in in Slavkowski's draft year, he played over seventy games against exclusively, you know, men's league talent, you know non-age-restricted talent. Um, and while Wright had been in the spotlight since he was 15, I think scouts wanted to see more from him in, this, in you know, not only this season where he did play. He had 32 goals, 62 assists, 94 points in 63 games, so still well over a point per game. I think they wanted to see more from him both in that season where he finished 8th in OHL scoring, and I do think that they kind of wanted to see him play you know, a season where he was allowed to play on like in the OHL, which again is a tough spot for him. I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and say you definitely should have gone to, you know, a foreign country to play a game. You know, it's it's during a global pandemic. I don't know like what how you can command an eighteen year old to do that, or especially just expect that they should have done that after the fact. Um I think right, you know, being granted that exceptional status as a 15-year-old, I think that he becomes a victim of his own success in a lot of ways, 
I think when, you know, the scouts are looking at him for as long as they were able to see him, you, you, and we've seen this said, this isn't my thought, but like you see, we've seen this said that like they just start picking apart his game because they see it so much. And because you see him so much, you really expect him to do more every time you go see him. Okay, you did this. What are you going to do next time? What am I going to see the next time I see you? Um, and I just think he was like, it seemed like he was just okay. And, you know, outside of that, I'm, I'm like, we're going to find out eventually, like, what this kid can do in the NHL. It'll be interesting to see what he does. Can he prove them wrong? Is he what they said they he was, that he's not all that flashy and he's just kind of a meat and potatoes kind of player? Um, you know, I, and I do, I do think it's important that we realize that it wasn't just Montreal that passed on him. Two other teams did. Um, New Jersey, according to Pierre Lebrun, wanted Slefkovsky, and because Montreal did such a good job shielding their pick from leaking, New Jersey couldn't trade the second overall pick in the time allotted, so they took Simon Nemitz, which they had a jersey made for him, so I guess they kind of assumed that was a possibility, but I think that they genuinely thought Montreal was going to walk up there and take Shane Wright first overall. Um, and, you know, in New Jersey... You know, Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer would have made Shane Wright duplicative down the middle. You don't need that. And it wouldn't have been a good use of assets. However, I do very much disagree with the, with the aspect of drafting for need, especially that high up in the draft. Um, so I think New Jersey should have just taken Shane Wright or have worked out a, worked out a trade in, in, in the, in, you know, in the lead up to the draft when all these murmurs were going around that the Canadians are legitimately considering taking Uri Slepkovsky. If if LeBron is, is telling the truth here in that, not telling the truth, if he was given good information, the, the Devils really screwed this up by not having another option for two other than taking a defenseman who I bet is going to be really good. Um, and then at third overall, Arizona, they I, I feel like... They've been linked to Logan Cooley since the draft lottery. Like, they've just been locked in on Logan Cooley. So, even when Wright, who fell, who might have been a better player, they might have even admitted that he's higher on their board, they might have just been so locked in on Logan Cooley that it was just going to happen. Um, so, you know, I'll go on record as saying this now, I, I, because I'm not, I'm not backing down from what I have said in the past. I do not agree with the Canadians' pick at first overall. I don't. I think Shane Wright was the guy to be selected. Then again, I didn't talk to him. I didn't scout him or Slavkovsky. But I do think there's a decent chance they grow to regret this. It's, it's quite possible. I'm not saying it's likely. It's not, I'm not saying I'm rooting for it. But I, I would not have made the pick that they made. It does not make the Canadians' pick wrong. It just means I would have gone in a different direction. And I think a lot of Canadians fans would. But that's why we're not running the team, right? Um, you know, with that said, if both Slavkovsky and Wright end up being really, really, really good NHL players, I, I don't care. I, I'd say we picked the right guy then. If, you know... Slavkovsky ends up being a, 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 you know, a player that does not reach the standard that, that Shane Wright is reaching within, you know, five, six, seven years. You're kind of like, eh, we probably messed that pick up. 
With that said, the Canadians had a plan going into this draft, and they executed it. So let's get into the trades that happened uh, after the first overall pick and the plan that I'm that I'm talking about. So the Canadians walked up there. They took Slavkovsky. The Bell Center shocked. I'm shocked. I legitimately thought Shane Wright was the guy. Um, so my first reaction was just shock. Like, I couldn't believe that this was the guy that they, they picked. Not because he's bad. Just because I just, I, I thought Shane Wright was their guy. The next reaction was look was was forward looking, and it was me. The first thing I tweeted after they made the pick, I said they better have a plan, because I think everyone kind of accepted the idea that Montreal needs to come away from here with a top, not a top center, but a good young center. They need to find another one because right now it's just it's too thin down the middle. Um. Sure enough, when that pick was made, when they walked up there and they took Slavkovsky, Hughes had that plan in his back pocket. We just didn't know about it at the time. Um, you know, I like I said, I thought they needed a center, preferably young. We thought it was going to be right. It wasn't right, so they need to have that other guy. And they didn't believe Wright was their guy, right? They stuck to their guns. They did not believe that he was the center they needed. So they went and they found their guy. After Logan Cooley was picked by the Coyotes, the trade, uh, the the trades start to be announced. I wasn't on Twitter for the beginning of the draft because I stream it um, using an internet cable service, and it it just it Twitter's so much faster, and I didn't want it to be spoiled. I kind of wanted to enjoy the draft moment as it was unfolding. So when Gary Bettman walked out on stage and was like, "I have trades to announce," because like they're the crowd boos him, and he goes, "These ones, uh, they're both Montreal. Are you sure you want to boo me?" Um, I was legitimately shocked. I actually stood up at my living room. Um, the trade, and I do mean that this is one trade. I know for, for transaction reasons, it's listed as two separate trades. But this is one three-team trade. And this is how I'm, I'm choosing to digest this trade because I think ultimately this is all that really matters. Um, the three-team trade is, is between Montreal... New York Islanders, and Chicago. Montreal, into the pot, throws Alexander Romanoff, the 66th pick, and the 98th pick, and they receive Kirby Doc. The Islanders throw in the 13th overall pick, and they receive Alexander Romanoff and pick 98. Those belong to the Canadians. The Blackhawks, into that pot, throw Kirby Doc, they receive pick 13 and pick 66. If you think this is mental gymnastics, I get it. But the fact remains that Montreal only transactionally had pick 13 to facilitate this trade. It's a th- it's a three-team trade. Montreal never really had the 13th overall pick. I know Bettman said Montreal gets the 13th pick and trades it to Chicago, but that's how it has to be for transactions for central registry. As I've said, as I've stated this, I think this is more in line with with what the trade actually was. Montreal throws Romanov two picks in the pot. They get Doc. Islanders throw one pick. They get Romanov and ninety eight. The Blackhawks throw in Kirby Doc and they get thirteen and sixty six. I think that's that's how I'm going to digest this trade. And I think they do pretty well in it. 
Um, they get the center that they wanted at the price that they thought was fair. Um, that, that price of acquisition is going to be up for debate as long as we're watching Kirby Doc play for the Montreal Canadiens. But I do think that this has the chance to really pay off for them. Now, let's go and piece this together. First, I want to say goodbye to Alex Romanoff. Um, if you've listened to a lot of the show, you know I'm not... You know I'm a lot lower on Romanoff than a lot of the, you know, Habs fan populace. Um, he played a lot down the stretch. Uh, he averaged about 22 minutes a night from February through the end of the year. Um, playing a lot did not make him play better. He just played a lot. I think a lot of people looked at how much Romanoff was playing. Oh, they're, they're rolling him out there in every situation, man. They really trust him. They really believe that this is going to be a guy... You know, that's going to be a cornerstone of this team. And they just overlooked the fact that he was getting absolutely caved in every time he was on the ice. Um, I I know it was one game, and I know plus minus is a bad stat, but there was a game against Washington down the stretch where him and David Savard, which was a terrible pairing for the Canadians, and I'm part of the, this trade, the benefit of it is taking that pairing away from them. So they're not allowed to roll that out ever again. Um, but there was a game against Washington where Romanov and Savard fished the puck out of their own net five times. Like, it, that wasn't, that was not a, a you know, an, a, a, a representation of how Romanov is all of the time. But it was, it, it, it wasn't a very good look. And it wasn't indicative of a player who's a lot better than people are, a lot better than I'm saying he is. Um, he has a strong physical upside. I think he's an average skater, maybe slightly below average um, for a defenseman anyway. The, the the defense position is getting faster and faster, as is the rest of the game. Um, so strong physical upside, average skating, somewhat below average defensive awareness, above average physicality um, to, to both his, his benefit and his detriment, and no real offensive upside to speak of 133 games into his season and into his career. Um, Islanders fans, I saw a tweet that said that they think they're getting a puck moving offensive defenseman. And I cannot help but feel that that is entirely misguided. I don't, I, I, I wonder if it was a Sebastian Ajo situation where they thought there was another guy named Alexander Romanoff that they got. Alexander Romanoff is a, is a, is an NHL defenseman. I do believe that. I think he's a bottom pair, maybe a four, on a below-average NHL team, but probably a bottom-pair defenseman, um, a stay-at-home guy. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't add much to a transition play. He doesn't add much, you know, in the way of offense. Um, he's going to lay a big hit every once in a while. Sometimes that's going to take him out of a play. He's going to be punishing in front of the net. I think that a lot of his development was hindered by the fact that Montreal had Ben Chirot and Joel Edmondson and 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 Shea Weber all at the same time. And that was their model for this is what a successful defenseman should be like. Just pummel guys in front of your own net. It doesn't matter if the puck goes into your net. As long as you beat the guy up in front of it, you'll be fine. I think Alexander Romanov is a big... Um, he's, a, he's a poster child for that not being a successful way to not only run a hockey team, but develop young players. Because he did have offensive upside in the World Juniors. He did have off offensive upside when he was playing in Russia. Like It seemed like he was a guy who was going to be able to translate a little bit of that offense to the NHL. With Montreal, he just wasn't able to do it. Um, 
can he develop that side of his game? I don't see why not. He's only 22. He's he's only 133 regular season games into his career. Um, but we have to remember, he's going to Lulemarello's off, uh, Islanders, where offense goes to die. So that would really be a turn of events if he suddenly turned into the Andre Markov clone that Canadians fans wanted him to be when he was playing in the World, in the world Juniors. Um, if you're the Canadians, moving him at this price was a no-brainer. And I'll tell you why. He's an RFA this summer. Montreal would need to, first of all, qualify him by, is it Monday? You might be listening to this when the qualifying deadline has already passed. Um, they would have to either, one, bridge him to his next RFA deal, potentially risking having to pay him a boatload in that next contract if he suddenly figured out how to play in the offensive zone, which is not all that likely. You could bridge him to his next RFA deal and the opposite happens, and he plays terribly, and he completely tanks his value to the point where he doesn't fetch anything on the trade market, which I think is somewhat likely. And then the third option is sign him long-term now and hope it works out, which is a massive risk. I almost I almost don't want to say it's a risk because there's not much of a chance for the upside of happening. There's no risk here. It's just a bad idea. Um, the truth is the Canadians have a lot of young defensemen coming up, and it made sense to move him now for a piece that they rather that they need rather than have too many defensemen in the system stunting development, which is something that the last front office did consistently, right? We would see them have eight guys on NHL contracts and you've just got, it's a log jam on the blue line. I think the Canadians now are trying to avoid that with Harris and Gooley and Barron and Norlinder and potentially Logan Maya. I know he was at, He's at the development camp. He's injured, so he won't be participating, but he was invited. Um, it still remains to be seen if he ever plays for the Montreal Canadiens. Still. Um, with all of that said, um, Alexander Romanov um, was, seems like an absolute first-class guy. Um, first of all, he's a total wife guy, which I love, and I know a lot of Habs fans either really, really loved that about him or had really weird thoughts about it, that it somehow made him less of a man than he loves his wife, which is insane. Um, you know, he loved being a Montreal Canadian. He was here for that cup final run. Um, you know, that he'll always be part of that. Um, you know, I read recently that he teammates say that he's always the first guy on the ice for practice. I think the Islanders are getting a quality person, and I wish him well on Long Island. I think when I said earlier that the Islanders are getting a puck, they, they, they think they're getting a puck-moving offensive defenseman, I think that the style of play that that Alexander Romanov plays r will really endear himself to the New York Islanders fans. Um, he's mean. He's a nice guy, but he's mean. That seems to fit that whole, uh, that whole organization. So good luck in Long Island. I'm sure I'll be able to see him a few times. Um, now in that new arena that they have, because I don't live that far away. Uh, let's talk about Kirby Doc now. So all that stuff I said about Romanov being an RFA and all the pitfalls that could come with that, well, they kind of all apply to Kirby Doc as well. Um, the Canadians now have uh, the 21-year-old RFA. The key difference, though, is that the acquired player fits a need as a middle six center, has tremendous... I think tremendous offensive upside that he hasn't achieved yet. Um, should you know? Should he pan out? That's a, that's a big win for them. Um, so let's go into the player. 
Uh, he's the third overall pick in the 2019 draft, same draft year as Caulfield. And, you know, I, I note here, as much as we love where Caulfield is at, he wasn't doing well at the beginning of last season. And he did. the coach didn't show a ton of confidence in him. Um, it might be a similar story for Doc. First of all, can he stay healthy, right? Um, we know that Kirby Doc has a lot of injuries, the most recent of which I think was a wrist injury he suffered early in the World Junior Tournament that took him out for the tournament and for months of his season. Um, and when he was healthy... Um, you know, there were certain things that made his development a challenge. Um, I reached out to a friend of mine who I consider to be a pretty solid source on the Blackhawks. And um, here's what I was able to essentially glean from him. Um, Doc has size. His skating's good. Um, but he has a reputation for having a, um, a, you know, a bit of a work ethic issue. Um, sometimes that that relegated him to being a, a, a checking line winger. Um, you know, the, the person I talked to, they said that maybe he can be coached up, like maybe a coach with the right message can get more out of him, which that's Marty St. Louis music, right? Like that's sort of the thing that we have him there to do. Um, he, you know, the, the, the source that I talked to, they said that, you know, there's also a pretty good chance that playing for Jeremy Collison stunted his development and that good coaching would be the thing that would that would fix that. Um, so it seems like a, a questionable work ethic at times and poor coaching, along with his injuries, are um, the reason for why Kirby Doc is where he's at. Um, I watched a video from Jack Hahn, who's a fantastic um, analyst and, and sort of just brilliant mind in the game. Um, I read an article of his in his newsletter that he talked about Kirby Doc as like a guy, he's six foot four, just like Slavkovsky, who has a hard time using his body to his advantage. He uses his frame to try to, um, you know, slide away from contact instead of, you know, embracing contact and buying himself space with his body. Um, so maybe that's something that Adam Nicholas um, and maybe Mary Philippe Plain could kind of get out of him in the, in the time that they're able to work together. Um, I will, I do want to add, you know, one thing, the last thing that the, my source said here, and I'll quote them somewhat directly with a paraphrase to avoid some profanity. Um, my source said, when Marty talks, Kirby had better effing listen. Um, I think that, I think that says it pretty well for any young player coming into this, into this organization. Um, when you fill your organization with greatness from top to bottom, the players that come in better listen because they, you know, Marty St. Louis knows what he's talking about. Um, so they had that plan, right? They had a plan to get the players that they that they wanted. That was Slavkovsky. That was Kirby Doc. That was um, Philip Nashar. Um, one thing they didn't do that we criticized the last front office for doing early in round, early, you know, early in the draft, usually in the first round, is drafting for need. Um, it's a it's a philosophy I don't agree with. Um, Especially when you're you're the Montreal Canadiens in their current state, you have needs just about everywhere, right? Like, you shouldn't have really been saying no to any particular position. Um, yeah, they need the talent up front, but if you believe they're reaching for the center that they want just because they needed a center, I don't think you think they're drafting well. At least I don't. Like, I look back at the Kotkaniemi pick in, in whatever year it was, 2018. I still don't think that was the correct pick. 
Um, uh, I think that they reached for the big center that Mark Bergevin tried and tried and tried to get, starting with Alex Galchenyuk, and they screwed his development. And going to Michael McCarron, who they drafted late in the first round, and you know, notably as a project, who n- just never panned out in the NHL. Um, to then Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who I still don't think is worth the money he's being paid to play. Um, so, I mean, there's not a great track record of the Canadians drafting for need, at least with, especially with those early picks. Um, you know, there, there have been and will be debates about whether or not Slavkovsky was the best player available, but the Canadians drafted him not because he filled the need, but because he was the best player available. In their mind, they believed he was the best player available. They didn't draft him because we really need a left-handed winger. Um, so at the beginning of the show, I said a bunch of stuff that I'm not going to do, but I've got one more. Um, we're not going to hold this front office accountable for the sins of the last one. This is something that I think sort of reverberated through Habs Twitter um, you know, as the draft progressed. Um obviously very upset with the pick sort of saying this is Mark Bergevin all over again look they got a big guy oh big dude in there we cannot hold these guys accountable for those issues for the things that the last team did the last front office did this front office just had its first draft drafting and development was not a strong suit of last front office despite them always saying that drafting is the best way to build a hockey team this front office just got here. They finished a draft, a draft in which they picked 11 players. Like that's Montreal always under under Mark Bergevin seemed to have a boatload of picks. Um, I feel like they traded more than 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 Kent Hughes did, um, and they ended up with 11 selections in this year's draft. Um, the front office just made that draft. We have to give them the time to prove that the development process they're putting in place is going to do everything they can to put quality NHLers out. And that's not going to be something that is a results-based determination. It's not like we're going to be able to see, ah, yes, this player came through because they developed him well. Sure, there might be some that work out and that we can point to development really working with that with that player. Um But you can also develop a player to the best of your ability, and they just don't pan out. That's possible. Um, the problem was is that the last front office, you know, they they never seemed to take responsibility for the way players develop because they didn't put any effort into doing it. So you know, when the when the player ultimately flopped, they what ultimately was what ended up saying was that well, the players are responsible for their development. You know, that was that was what. That was something that I don't necessarily know if like the the old front office was like pushing that narrative, but it, it certainly the fan base the section of the fan base who loved the last front office they were all barking that line on command that well you know he just didn't try hard enough yep he didn't work on this yep he didn't work on this like like you know what's going on um so as much as I don't agree with the first pick and as much as I think Kirby Doc is a bit of a risk, I'm more than willing and ready to allow them that time to try to get this thing back on the rails. I think they are owed that courtesy that, you know, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon and Nick Bobroff and Martin LaPointe version 2.0 
and Mary Philippe Poulain, who I will never doubt, as long as she's here, I have belief. Um, and Adam Nicholas, we have to give all of these new faces and new systems and new structure time to do their work. It has not even been a calendar year since they've been here. So I see so much like doom and gloom from Habs fans that like, oh, we really botched this draft and oh my goodness. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the most consequential pick the Canadians made was not their first pick or their second pick or their third pick. It was their second pick in the fourth round, Lane Hudson. I legitimately believe that that kid is going to be the most consequential player the Canadians drafted in this year's draft. Because I think that he offers something to their defense that they just don't have at the moment. Um, he's five foot eight. He came with a doctor's note that said he could grow two or three more inches, which is hilarious. And he's my favorite player for just doing that. Um, but I I think that there's a lot of frustration that is being. There's a lot of frustration for the way that the last 10 years have gone that is being taken out on the guys who got here eight months ago. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. There will come a time when the when we when we look at these guys and we go, they're not doing the job the right way because we have X, Y, and Z reason for believing it. All of the trepidations that Canadians fans have today are based on the Mark Bergevin Canadians. They're not based on Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon and Mary Philippe Poulain and all of the guys that are there. They're not, it's not, we cannot hold them accountable for what the last front office did. So what it's going to come down to ultimately is Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, they made some big swings at this draft. And they've talked about how development is the most important thing and how they're building out new development arms with the Montreal Canadiens. I said that it's not fair to hold them accountable for the sins of the last front office. However, in a few years, it's going to be accountable. It's going to be acceptable to hold them accountable for the draft that they had this year. If it's great and they've built a team that is great, we're going to say like if if they made eleven selections in this year's draft, if they found like four or five full time NHL players and maybe one or two legitimate stars we're having we're laughing like it's a great draft so let's give them time i know it's frustrating because the last guy got 10 years these are not the last guys martin the point is but the rest of them aren't let's give them time i think it'll help lower your blood pressure as well because i i, I i'll be honest i did not understand the 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 anger on on Thursday night or Friday morning and i and i and i won't for at least a few years let's see how this plays out speaking on this playing out um let's check back in on those bold predictions i made spoiler alert they were all bad i said uh Shane Wright was going first overall i wasn't even a little close he didn't even go second or third he went fourth that's a big wrong there. Uh, I said Montreal's going to try to grab another pick in the top 10 and possibly grab a defenseman. They did no such thing. They came close. They got 13. That was almost inside the top 10. But I don't almost get half credit. Zero points. I said that Josh Anderson's uh, value was not going to be higher than it was on Thursday and Friday. 
and that they would pull the trigger on a trade. They did no such thing. Uh, likewise, I said they would trade Jake Allen. They did no such thing. They've gotten from all reports, Kevin Weeks, um, Nick Alberga, uh, Dave Pagnotta of the fourth period. They've gotten calls on him. I think Hughes said he's gotten an incredible amount of calls on Josh Anderson. But he's not moving him. He's sticking to his guns. I appreciate it. Um, I do think they're better off moving Josh Anderson. Not because I don't like him. I love Josh Anderson. I just don't think he brings any value to a team that's going to be a basement dweller for at least one more season. And you might be able to recoup those assets for something else that will help you when the team is in their competitive window. Uh, the closest one I was on, I said Montreal would use their 14 picks and select 10 players. They picked 11, so I was kind of close. Um, so I took a stab at trying to understand and trying to predict what this new front office was going to do in their first draft. Um, I didn't do all that great, I'll be honest. Um, but, you know, I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to help to do that over time because it's, it's going to help us understand how this front office ticks, right? We we had 10 years of Mark Bergevin and every move in the last like two, three years was so predictable. Like him signing Mike Hoffman after the Stanley Cup final win, our Stanley Cup final run was one of the more predictable things I've ever seen him do. The David Savard signing was so predictable. Like we understood what kind of guys he wanted on this team. I think that we're going to, I want to try to pick up on what they value, where they might see uh, opportunities to strike in free agency or in trades and see if we can, you know, pick up on some of their actions and maybe actually be able to predict some later on. Um, so we'll see if that goes. But if that, if the goal of those, of those original bold predictions was accuracy, I have not met those goals. However, the, the goal of them was to be bold. And I think I won that. All right, I've talked for over 45 minutes. That was a long one. Um, free agency opens on Wednesday. If there's some big player movement, um, maybe you'll see me do a quick hit podcast to break it down this week. Um, if not, I'll see you next week, hopefully with some more intel on some of the Habs prospects. I'm going to try to be a student of the game and read more about them. Maybe have some some folks on who know a thing or two about a thing or two. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. I, I, I say that a lot. I try to say it every episode. I try to, when someone tweets at me about my podcast, I always try to mention that I'm thankful for their listen because I am. There's a lot of things you could be doing with your time. If you choose any of, if you choose to spend any of it with me, I am very thankful. Um, if you want to see more of me, I'm on Twitter at Maybe It's Ian, at Rabbit Habs for the blog. Um, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is a track called Inside by Fred Mug. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to listen to his other stuff, like a new album called Multimedia. It's fun. Real video game sounding music. All right, guys. Off into free agency. I'll see ya. Bye.